Welcome back to the Football Outsiders live streaming podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. I'm not Aaron Schatz. I know, surprise. He and Mike Tanier, your normal host, are in Indianapolis for the Combine. And if you check out footballoutsiders.com, you're going to get some good content related to that, including Mike Tanier's normal walkthrough where he's going through all of the, the stuff that he's doing up there. So we don't have them today, but we have a great guest, Rob Weintraub. Rob, how's it going? We're going to preview your key division here, the AFC North, featuring your near Super Bowl champion, Bengals. So I'm sure you're in a good mood right now. Yeah, it's bittersweet, but uh, obviously the season was fantastic right up until that last, what, mm. minute or so. Uh, you know, he comes so close to winning it all. It's pretty much all I've thought about for the last few weeks. But when I step back and look at the big picture, obviously it was a fantastic season and, uh, you know, a seminal one for the Bengals. And the best part is, as we'll talk about for the next little while, it, it seems sustainable, at least, especially when you have a quarterback that likes to Joe Burrow. So I'm excited about that. Uh, excited to be with you here today, two clean-shaven gentlemen for a change on mm. this uh, on this particular show instead of the bearded wonders who usually host. So it's good to uh, – maybe we can get a sponsorship from a shaving company. Absolutely. Yeah, I should have broken out my fedora so I could have really replaced Mike Tanier. But since I don't have it, I'll just need you to bring the wit on today's show, and I'll try to steer <laughs> the ship as best I'll I can. Absolutely. <laughs> Before we dive into the Bengals, who we'll hit on first, let me just table set a bit. Again, this is the free agency preview series that we're doing on the Football Outsiders live stream. Today's the AFC North, uh, so we'll hit on all of those teams. Uh, just going through free agency, but kind of a bigger picture stuff, looking at guys that may be release candidates, looking at their cap situation, hitting on the draft a little bit too. So pretty comprehensive look on what teams' outlooks are going to be. We're live streaming, as we always are, at 1 p.m. on Wednesdays and Thursdays in the offseason. You can catch us live on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. And Facebook. And if you do that, you can also chat with us and ask us questions. We love those. We love to be able to interact with all you guys. Yeah. So if you're listening after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, thanks for that too. But remember, you can catch us on the live stream, including again tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Rob, let's let's dive into the Bengals. As we said before the show, I think about a 45 minutes on the Bengals and then five minutes on the rest of the teams. That's a pretty good way to to sort of split this up. Absolutely. I don't think that they I, even deserve that much, I guess. But we'll we'll yeah. we'll we'll, we'll, we'll skip on the Browns for our, our former yeah, exactly. uh, football outsiders guys working over there. <laughs> um, let's frame this first from a from the how they finished 2021. You probably realize that they made it to the Super Bowl, nearly mm -hmm. won it, lost 23 to 20 to the Rams. But from a bigger picture perspective, they also won the division AFC North at a 10 and 7 record, but finished 17th in DVOA uh, during the regular season. That might have crept up to like 12th when you start including the postseason, which again, we have that on Football Outsiders now. So that's a fun little right. twist. But regardless, I think it begs the question, Rob, do you think the postseason run creates an unrealistic expectation of what this team is? And I think you can really point to the path the Bengals went through the postseason where you know, there were only three other teams in the playoffs worse than them by DVOA, the Titans, the Raiders, and the Steelers. And by the by, the Bengals went through two of those teams to get to where they got. So, like, is this team not as good as we're thinking? Can we bring you down from the high that you experienced a few weeks ago? <laughs> Nothing can bring me down from this high, Scott. <laughs> uh, unrealistic. It depends on who you're talking about, like the average mm -hmm. Joe out there or the front office themselves and within the team's yeah. uh, inner walls. Uh, I think there, most people, and fans included, certainly myself, are pretty cognizant of the fact that this is a flawed team. This is hardly mm -hmm. you know, a team that went uh, won 13 or 14 games and, and cruised to a Super Bowl uh, appearance. They, they had a little bit of a magic, car lot of a magic carpet ride just to get mm -hmm. there. And even the division title was 
obviously pretty unexpected and had elements of luck and and circumstance to it. And of course, they were the healthiest team in the division and healthier than they've mm-hmm. been in a long time. That had a lot to do with it too. And they have flaws and they have holes. And certainly there's no Bengal fan who is not aware of the fact they need yeah. help on the offensive line. I mean, that's every football fan knows that now uh, if they hadn't before. And, you know, uh, sure, Joe Burrow, who is the de facto leader of the franchise, uh, in some ways more important even than Mike Brown, uh, you know, all he has to do is get out of bed and examine all his kind of injured, <laughs> ouchy body parts to realize yeah. that he has to do something there. So, yeah. I, I don't think it's unrealistically – I don't think anybody's uh, putting their head on their pillow at night thinking, oh, we got this thing knocked and the Bengals are going to be right back in the Super Bowl next year the way they are. Uh, leaving aside, obviously, the importance uh, or the uh, difficulty of getting back to the Super Bowl in any case, no matter how mm-hmm. good you are. Uh, Cincinnati certainly has a lot of work to do. They were really a boom and bust team all year. We talked about it on this – show throughout the season how the DVOA didn't necessarily match either their productivity or kind of their record or what your eyes saw. Um, and, it, and it matched it in a way that, yes, they were not very efficient from down to down, but they managed to uh, sort of mitigate that by big plays, uh, avoiding penalties and kind of letting the other guys screw up before they did. Um, you know, some of that's sustainable and some of it's not, but th- there's definitely a lot of places that they can look to, attack this offseason not just the offensive line uh the pass rush could definitely use some more uh uh bodies on it they're gonna have to make some decisions at defensive tackle and then at cornerback in the secondary has got a couple of big decisions to be made with uh, their safeties so we'll get into all that but i don't think anybody we'll dig into it yeah we'll dig into it i don't want to get too far down that road just yet but I, and going back to the big picture question whether or not uh the season created any sort of unrealistic uh, ambition for next year. I, I don't really think so. I, I think they were confident in the idea that they had a good team that could do this. As long as you have Joe Burrow, you're in the mix for it. I think that's what they're thinking. And I think that is not unrealistic, but to there's plenty of places to improve the team and build around Burrow. And I think uh, most fans are cognizant of that. And I certainly hope the team is as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm with you there where it's like maybe the Bengals were luckier than your average Super Bowl team. I think that's probably true based on their DVOA and the discrepancy there. But they're also relatively ahead of schedule. I know we throw that around a lot, but I think it really rings true. Jumping a little bit ahead here where they are are top five in both effective cap space and over the cap and top five in if you did simple restructures based on over the cap calculations. So like this isn't the the Buccaneers say, or the Eagles from a few years ago, where it's like all the resources are pushed in. I guess the Rams are maybe the new example of this, yeah. where they pushed all of the chips in and it's like, man, we hope we win the Super Bowl this year. I mean, you could say the Titans are kind of that way too. Of course. For, for this team, they were ahead of schedule. Maybe they were lucky to get here, but they have a lot of moves they can make to try to fill their holes, not just in the draft either. So I think that's that's a really encouraging sign to me. And so I think it kind of pushes toward the offseason goal here where this team is clearly going to be trying to compete for Super Bowls. And I would frame it as weird as this sounds for a team that just lost the Super Bowl is they're looking to complete their rebuild this offseason, which, I mean, as you mentioned, it starts with the pass protection, right? Where it's like, yeah, I mean, this team had a 49% pass block win rate, was the third worst in the league. Uh, the adjusted sack rate was second worst, even though Joe Burrow had a top 10 time to throw based on next gen stats. So it's like, I think we know where the major problem areas are, but this team is unusually equipped 
to like correct them for a team that just lost the Super Bowl. Right. And and one sort of big picture uh, look to continue that before we get into the nitty gritty is that it's almost like, you know, they were there, as you say, they're they're ahead of schedule by year. And the way the Bengals normally operate is it's not really much of a schedule. It's almost like, yeah, we'll just we'll improve if we can. We always want to have sort of 30 million or so in cap space. Mm-hmm. We never want to get too up too close to it. We never want to have dead money. We always want to be in a position where we have a draft choice or two, you know, waiting to take the role of the guy who's going to leave us in free agency, et cetera. That worked for a while. Then it didn't. And I think the fact that they got to the Super Bowl kind of puts, you know, a little bit of a hot coal up their rear ends, if you will. And to say, wait, wait a minute, we do have this window now. We have this cap space. Let's not operate the way we normally do. Let's go a little bit more all in. We don't have to be the Titans yeah. or the Rams necessarily, but let I mean, you know, let's spend money that we ordinarily wouldn't. It's not like they haven't spent money in free agency. Obviously, they have over the last couple of years, but there's always been that sort of we got to have that buffer. We got to make sure that the next couple of years we're not going to be in a position to overextend ourselves. And I think that is the area where it'll be interesting to see if they feel the way the fans do, which is, you know, screw that buffer go for it now especially while burrow is on the rookie contract or if they're sort of inherent and this is the brown family uh, especially uh inherent you know sort of caution when it comes to that kind of thinking uh prevails or if they you know if, if burrow sort of wins that battle if you will and and they do go all in as much as possible for for a team like cincinnati yeah, from an outsider's perspective, there's an interesting push-pull here where it's like, you know, again, the Bengals, top five in cap space. Is that because they're cheap or is that because they were making a disciplined rebuild? And are they going to maybe take the incentive they saw from last year's moves to add free agents on the defensive side of the ball and maybe kind of push that forward with some of the offensive line moves? A lot of those signings have obviously worked. I would say Trey Waynes has been one of the bigger signings the last couple of years that hasn't worked. He strikes me as the biggest obvious cut candidate where they would save $10 million in cap space. He's basically missed the last two seasons with, you know, pec injury, hamstring injury, hasn't been super effective when he's played. So like that's an obvious one that clears the deck a little bit. This team could end up with more than $50 million in cap space. The, you know, the major test may be with their very prominent free agent. I think Jesse Bates, the safety really stands out from that perspective. And so you wonder whether that could be the thing that is the signal either way Bates was a second team all pro safety two years ago. I think some might say that he had a down year last year, but in my mind, that's really more about the interception counting where it's like the outsiders tend to really judge safety play by interception total. He had just one during the regular season last year, uh, had three a year the previous years. But to me, it's like a really important piece of this defense. And I think it's a pretty big priority. How do you feel about that, Rob? Well, he's definitely a priority. I mean, I think it is fair to say that he had a bit of a, he sort of has had this in his career where he's a little bit boomer bust himself. He's, he's mm-hmm. kind of ridden the roller coaster a little bit with his play. He's even admitted that um, yeah. some of it's circumstantial. And, and this year, you know, a lot of the, the conjecture was that he was distracted a bit by the lingering talks about his contract. I don't know that that's really the case when you're out there playing a football game and you're thinking about that in the back of your mind. I just think he had, a, you know, he had some bad games. He had some decent games. He set, such a high bar last year that mm-hmm. it was going to be tough to to match that uh, no matter what he did. But then came the postseason and he was about their best player, you know, sort yeah. of save Evan McPherson, maybe the kicker. Uh, and I, I, I don't think now there's really any doubt they're going to keep him. The question is, does he play a full season on the franchise tag? I think he'll definitely be franchise tagged 
to begin with. Uh, the question is whether they renegotiate and sign him to a long-term deal before the season starts or he plays out the season on the franchise tag. And we'll see what happens come the end of the 2022 season. Uh, I don't think there's any way, though, he hits the market, though, and, and leaves the team for this year. I, they just they can't do that now um, yeah. after he's played so well. And, and he means so much in a lot of ways to what Lou Anarumo has tried to do. And, and it took them a while to get to that point. And he finally saw a bit of that come to fruition in the playoffs, especially. And now that they kind of are all on the same page to lose Bates now and to break in somebody else would really be difficult, I think, that they don't want any part of that. And, you know, I, I think the overall sort of theme here was that the Bengals, and this is, has always been the case at guard and at certain other positions, were like, eh, safeties, we don't ever want to be near the top of the market with safeties. Um, but in this case, they're probably going to have to make an exception. And I think Jesse's worth it. Yeah, it's it's tough because I mean I would say safety from an analytics perspective may not be the position right. you would want to overextend. Um, it's and it's right a relative, yeah, <laughs> it's a relatively cheaper franchise tag. But I would be worried that he would hold out. And like I don't want to turn the narrative of this team in one off season from like huge excitement to like that. So like if I'm a if I'm the Bengals, I probably want to work that out. CCX three in the chat mentions how do you think this shakes out with the the Derwin James deal coming up as well. Yeah. In my mind, the fact that he's that Bates has been dramatically healthier, that the team is coming off a Super Bowl appearance, to me, this is a, an example where maybe you justify the overpay as right. a signal sender to the rest of the team. I don't know if it, the fact that it's the Bengals and their history of, of underpaying players digs into that. But I think he's I think he's going to end up with a new contract before the start of the season, honestly, even if he's tagged in the interim. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and, you know, they, they, they have a history of underpaying certain players, but they also have a history of overpaying certain other ones. It, it's really mm. – they've been pretty analytical about it. They'll overpay the quarterback, the tackles, certain other positions, and safety has not been a priority. And for the most part, we would probably agree with that. But mm -hmm. there are exceptions to every rule. And I think in this case, he's, he's talked, you know, sort of obliquely about the fact that he does not want to be a holdout. You know, he doesn't want to – do what you just said and, and sort of bring yeah. a negative cloud to the team after so much has gone right for them over the last year. Uh, but business is business. And, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to do what he has to do. I don't think, uh, you know, I, I think the Bengals see it the same way. I think, uh, you know, they did what they had to do, which was not into an immediate contract extension before last year started. Even, even though you could have argued then it was justified because he was an all pro level player last year, but you know, they, they held their water as so to speak and said, do it again. And now that he has for the most part, do it again. I, I think he's earned that extension and he's going to get, um, if not the actual top of the league salary at safety, he's going to be mm -hmm. in the top five. So beyond Bates, the other major free agents here, we've got Riley Reef, right tackle, Larry Ogunjobi, defensive tackle, Quentin Spain, left guard, CJ Uzama, tight end. And a bunch of their secondary cornerbacks, probably most prominently Eli Apple, I guess. Uh, let's hold some of the pass protection guys for a broader conversation there. But among those other guys, I don't know if anyone stands out. To me, like in the playoffs, when Ogunjobi was out, DJ Reader seemed like he could anchor that defensive line quite fine by himself. So I'm not sure if that makes him a priority. Uh, I hear I, that Uzama is like a, a star tight end in some circles. I'm not sure I see him that, like, that way. Like, What's your sense of those two players, Rob? Well, uh, with Uzama, it's he's like a beloved figure on the team. Uh, he played well this season. He certainly had his best season. Uh, I think he'll be hurt by the glut of tight ends who are available mm -hmm. across the league, free agent-wise. I think the Bengals 
would certainly all, you know, bets being equal, would like to keep him and, and not overpay in his case. And I, I think uh, Uzama probably feels the same way, but he he's a replaceable guy. I mean, you know, like you say, he's, he's a guy who you think of as critical if you're a fan of the team and if you like watching him and he's a real outgoing dude, everybody loves him. He's made some big plays over the years, especially this year. But you know, let's not put him in the uh, in the upper echelon of tight ends class. Uh, Ogunjobi's an interesting case because you know it, he's a three tech uh, guy who they imported from Cleveland specifically, really more to rush the passer than to play the run. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and he worked out in that role, uh, you know. And then when he got hurt, they were fortunate in that they immediately played the Titans. And everybody was talking, oh, how can they possibly slow down Derrick Henry and the Titans running attack without Larry Ogunjobi? Larry Ogunjobi this, Larry Ogunjobi that. He got, the guy had his name mentioned more often than the weekly to get to that <laughs> game that he had in his entire career. It was unbelievable. But DJ Reader, as you mentioned, is the run-stuffing tackle mm-hmm. in there who had an outstanding season and is the guy who is really you know, their first and foremost big-time player up front. Uh, I think, again, all things being equal, they'd like to bring him back. You wonder about his foot and how that really affects his market. I mean, he he's sort of been pretty quiet. Like, we know he has a foot injury, but I'm not sure if it's broken or if it's a Liz Frank or he has plantar fasciitis or something like I do uh, and limp around all day long. I mean, it, it's, it's an interesting take to see how healthy he'll be. Uh, again, another guy they'd like to keep and they'd like to keep mainly because if they lose him, then they got to go hunting for a specific quantity of three tech who can rush the passer. And as you know, uh, not so easy to find necessarily, especially, uh, you know, in, uh, in the draft. So I think between him and BJ Hill, who's also a free agent who also played well for them, I think they'd value Ogunjobi a little bit more just because of, um, you know, he's proven a little bit longer, but they'll probably wind up keeping one of the two and the foot injury might, swing it to Hill's way. For the cornerback Eli Apple, I'll point out that his 60% coverage success rate was actually top 20 among cornerbacks. So probably a bit of a surprise in that sense. Had a better season than you would expect. But this was also his fourth team in four years. Honestly, I think the Bengals did a good job of not putting him in situations he couldn't handle. And that gives me a little bit of faith that they could probably make it work with some other guys, whoever they brought in, if if he became an expensive player. Probably not a player that I would (laughs) jump to overpay. Let's talk broadly about the offensive line here because, you know, I would say Spain, honestly, maybe the Super Bowl didn't go ideally for him, but he was one of the brighter spots. Whereas I would say, I mean, obviously, right guard Hakeem Adinajay, right tackle Isaiah Prince, over 4% blown Brock rates. The leading tackles are like in the 1% to 2% range by Sports Info Solutions. So, like, those are among the worst of the quote unquote starters. I know Rife was kind of in that mix for a while, too. Jonah Williams, the left tackle, 3.5% blown pass block rate. Not ideal either. The second-round rookie, Jackson Carmen, 2.7%. Wasn't really starting a lot. So, I mean, I think you're hoping he grows. But from my perspective, this is an offensive line that's looking for multiple new pieces. And that's why kind of digging into the rumor territory, I'm wondering if the Bengals, they've, uh, they've been connected to Ravens center Bradley Bozeman. But I'm wondering if this is a team that might be going after the big, big names, like the Toronto Armsteads from the Saints, the – center Ryan Jensen from the Bucks, maybe Brandon Scherf. Like to me, I'm shopping in those territories when I've, when I, it's so important that you keep Burrow healthy and like this team has gap space. Like that has to happen. Right, Rob? Yeah. I mean, they've tried to go the path of five good, but not great players, five, you know, guys who won't kill you. Uh, and it hasn't worked because they keep putting out guys who, who do wind up killing them. 
and they've gone without a real stud ever since Andrew Whitworth and Kevin Zeitler left. You know, they haven't had that one sort of elite yeah. player, Jonah Williams, they thought would be that guy. And he's been good. But again, not not a player of Armstead's quality. Uh, you know, they've also been linked maybe to trade for Laramie Tunsil was a was a thought that's mm-hmm. out there. And that's certainly in the mix as well. Uh, as you say, Ryan Jensen, I think Pac-Man uh, Jones said the other day that he heard a little, little birdie told him they were going to go after and sign Ryan Jensen. So we'll see about that one. Uh, yeah. Now, Grant, really- I'll grant you that I'm like a fantasy analyst sitting in a chair right now, but I'm like, huh, if you bring in like an Armstead, does that then kick Jonah Williams to right tackle and then maybe suddenly make him a really good right tackle? Maybe. You know, well, like to me, it's... Does have- a lot of versatility, Williams. I know that's, yeah. you know, he's only ever played left tackle in the pros, but a lot of people thought coming out that he could play on the right side. He could play guard. Uh, Dave Lapham, who's a former NFL lineman who does the Bengals uh, radio analysis, longtime Bengal uh, broadcaster, mm-hmm. has always said that he thinks he'd be a good center. So maybe that's a possibility too. Um, but yeah, I, I think Williams would be the guy if, they were to go the route of the elite player, they would move Williams and he could pull that off. Not everybody can, uh, but certainly if they could get Armstead and, you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. I, Armstead to me might fall into the category of Joe Tooney did last year at this time where everybody's like Joe Tooney this, Joe Tooney that. Bengals are definitely should go after him and probably they should have. Uh, but the fact they didn't allow them to get a lot of other pieces on the team and they wound up Maybe it cost them the Super Bowl. You could certainly argue that. Uh, And Reef, who we mentioned briefly there, you know, he was a tough case because he was functional at right tackle. Not great, but certainly better than having to play Isaiah Prince, who was just, you know, a a sixth man who kind of was forced into the lineup because Reef got hurt. And, you know, he he played way too many snaps down the stretch. And and that also hurt them at right guard because the communication was not what it should have been. rookie or a second year man playing next to a second year man nobody knew anything and they got overrun uh you know that that's the part of the ball that has to be sincerely and severely upgraded jackson carmen you hate to give up on a guy because he was a second round pick last year it's, it certainly seems like he's got the the talent to improve maybe he's at a position at guard maybe he could go out and play tackle like he did in in high school and college um there's a lot of yeah. I, I don't think you don't need to give up on Carmen, and I don't think you need to give up on Jonah Williams. Maybe there's flexibility there, but I think this is a team that could go full Chiefs from last year, where it's like you bring in three or four new guys and see if you can overhaul, see what kind of works in the offseason. Useful title mentions in the chat: Jonah Williams has shorter arms for a typical left tackle, so like maybe it makes yeah. sense to move him to another position. But I would say looking at the draft too. So like obviously the Bengals are drafting near the end of the first rounds. Uh, given their Super Bowl berth, but Benjamin Robinson of uh, Grinding the Mocks, he's got all kinds of offensive tackles and guards that could still fit in that spot. Your Trevor Pennings from Northern Iowa, Zion Johnson from Boston College. They're guys that can fit here. And unsurprisingly, I would guess you would say Benjamin is seeing that about three quarters of mock drafts out there have the Bengals taking an offensive lineman with their first round pick. So I would say look for big name free agents there. Look for first round, probably also second rounders there. I think flood that flood that offensive line with new guys. I think that's what the Bengals are going to look to do this offseason. Yeah. And, you know, and they did it last offseason, just not at the quality it deserved. They, they brought in Reef. They drafted Carmen. They drafted a couple other guys later. Uh, <laughs> the irony is that they didn't draft Trey Smith, who the Chiefs drafted, and I wanted them to draft, but they did draft a Trey Hill and a guy named Smith, Deonta Smith. If they just 
gotten rid of those two guys and drafted Trey Smith and played him at guard, they might have uh, actually won the Super Bowl, but didn't work out that way. Fun yeah. with names. Uh, but I think, yes, they're going to do, you know, the similar thing. This this year it could be reversed where instead of uh, one free agent and three draft picks, it could be the other way around. We have three free agents and one draft pick or, or two. Um, and they're going to just have open competition and get the best five out there. And, you know, the Chiefs are a rarity in that not only did they rebuild that line, but they had the ability to communicate and play cohesively all year long or for the most part all year long. Uh, and you know, and that's not that easy to pull off necessarily. We'll see if the Bengals can get anywhere close to that. And if they can, you know, even 80% of that success, that would be probably enough for them to at least be functional up front. All right, Rob, cutting you off. That's the end of the Bengals talk. We got to hit on on these other teams in the AFC North. I know they're not as fun for you. Let's jump to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who I would say probably finished better than you remember. Second in the AFC North, nine, seven, and one. Uh, made it to the playoffs, lost badly in the wildcard round of the Chiefs, but were the worst in this division with 24th ranking in DVOA. And I would say from a narrative standpoint from last year, I think that there was still a little bit of optimism coming off the 2020 season when they were 11-0 to start the year that might have inflated the team's belief or the public belief in the team's chances in Roethlisberger's final season, where I would say even DVOA wasn't really supporting that coming out of 2020 either. And this team may be kind of looking at a bit of a hard reset here. Roethlisberger is going to probably be retired. Maybe they're looking at quarterback, but like the resources, you know, they're not bad. They're, they're kind of borderline top 10 in, in cap space and, and potential cap space with, with uh, restructures. But like, if you start throwing around some serious money at a quarterback, that's, that's going to change pretty quickly. Right. The team has expressed optimism with Mason Rudolph. So maybe that's a thing. Maybe this is a Jameis Winston destination. We'll dig into that later. But, Rob, to me, this is another team where the offensive line has to be a major priority. <laughs> Believe it or not, 49% pass block win rate last year, second worst, worse than the Bengals. Yeah, Only the Dolphins worse. fared worse in that respect. I think people got thrown off that sin a bit because Roethlisberger is a very quick time to throw guy, or at least was the last few years of his career. Blame that on the arm strength if you want. But I would say that that was intentional to a certain extent. Yeah, And guys was. like – like Dan Moore, the, the rookie left tackle, 4.6% blown block rate, didn't go great. Uh, they had a lot of guys like Kendrick Green was a third-round rookie. Kevin Dotson was a fourth-round rookie uh, or fourth-round sophomore. So like even the relative success stories, they haven't really been investing a lot of top-end draft capital of the position. And I wonder if the Steelers might be aiming to like put a little bit more on their offensive line with their their bigger capital here even ahead of maybe even looking for the franchise quarterback. How would you handle this, assuming it's a rebuild? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt uh, in Pittsburgh there, like this offensive line has to get fixed and it has to get fixed now. I, I think coming out of last year, you know, I remember writing, I did the chapter for the Steelers coming into this season. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were like, how can you even think that they're going to be as good as you have them being? Uh, they're going to stink. Mm-hmm. Roethlisberger's awful. The offensive line's bad. And, uh, you know, I went on and very sagely said, well, they still have a great defense. And, you know, mm-hmm. betting against Roethlisberger is always, you know, and Tomlin has always been a bad bet, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they, they somehow, as you said, found their way where they always find themselves, you know, just above 500, a playoff berth out of nowhere. But I think there was no mystery that the team was not very good. Just similarly, the way they were in 2020, even the 11-0 start was obviously pyrite, you know, and that. You know, when they when the push came to shove, they just didn't have the personnel. Uh, 
they were blindsided a bit last year when uh, David DeCastro, you know, kind of left the team and, and retired mm-hmm. in June. They lost Pouncey. Uh, you know, they uh, got rid of Villanueva. They they knew that the offensive line needed a big uh, retool, and yet they didn't really do that, did they? They drafted a couple of guys in day mid rounds, day two, and early yeah. day three. Kendrick Green didn't play well. A lot of people think that he's really more of a guard than a center, and he was miscast. Some of that might be, you know, give the kid a break. He's not Marquise Pouncey, and you know, as a rookie, uh, Pouncey was much better than the usual rookie center. But yeah, it, more to you know, decent, but you know, not a guy who's going to make anybody forget the the powerhouse lines that they've had there of late. So I think they think that internally as well. They, they all the talk mm-hmm. about uh, Mason Rudolph being you know, the guy for us this year is probably a head fake, but I don't see them, you know, unless somehow a trade for a Russell Wilson falls in their, in their lap, which is highly unlikely. I, I don't think they go that way. I think, I think the Jameis, as you said, uh, Marcus Mariota, Trubisky, the sort of, you know, kind of guy who's either a backup in a certain city or a guy who gets you, you know, to your next quarterback in another city is the way they go. Maybe they draft a guy, but again, I, you know, what is drafting Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis, uh, Malik Willis get you exactly if you don't have the offensive line? Excuse me, um, especially like a Pickett. You know, I mean, he's, a good, he's an athletic player, but yeah, he's going to be not any different out there looking than Roethlisberger. He's going to have to throw the ball as soon as he gets the snap. It's like a hot potato out there with Roethlisberger, and it won't be much different with Pickett with that offensive line. They really have to uh, sort of take a long-term approach and say, this is what we want to do here. Get to, like the Browns did a couple years ago. You know, they went after uh, Jake, uh, Jack Conklin and drafted Wills and said, all right, this is going to be our identity. We're going to be upfront first. I think that's Pittsburgh's, you know, history for sure. Uh, and they've gotten away from that a little bit. And I think most people uh, in Pittsburgh certainly would want them to go back toward that identity and uh, get themselves a line they can they can be proud of. The defense is there. Defense is pretty much always there in Pittsburgh. So, uh, you know, if they can just get themselves sorted around what they, you know, are best at doing, which is building around that offensive line, they can get right back in the mix and be the Steelers we know and hate uh, all these years. Well, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in, in the outline to address that question specifically, which is given that the Steelers are picking 20th in the first round, right. you know, at that point, I'm wondering whether like maybe the pressure could be off a quarterback. So like Benjamin Robinson of grinding the mocks again, he's projecting like half of the drafts have the Steelers taking a quarterback in the first round, Sam Howell being a possibility, Malik Willis being one that you mentioned from Liberty. To me, like he's a really compelling one. Not only has the team been rumored to like him a lot, but he is more of a project guy where coming from the smaller school, running a little bit simpler of an offensive scheme would need work to develop into probably a future NFL starter. And like, I'm wondering if that pick then might work with a timeline for the team where you have Mike Tomlin, an entrenched head coach with a ton of background of success. You just had your, you know, your multi-time Super Bowl winner retire. I think there would be a lot more patience for this franchise than there would be for other franchises. So could you bring Willis in, sit him for a year, or, you know, if you want to have a stopgap guy like a Winston, that's maybe not going to push the needle too far, fine. But like bring in your franchise quarterback that doesn't need to start right away and isn't ready to start right away. And then, you know, go after that offensive line upgrade. Right. Cause I think you mentioned how the, the team, like even last year, some of their guys were really more like, 
temporary hole fills. So like with the free agents, like Trey Turner, they brought him in last year to play right guard on a one-year deal. He's a free agent now. Yeah. Chuck Okorafor like, was the right tackle starter for a lot of last year. He's a free agent now. So you're losing pieces there too. And I think it's appealing to me that if you're bringing in a project quarterback that you don't bring him and throw him to the Wolves the way that like a Sam Darnold was with the Jets. And, and to me, that gives the Steelers a little bit more flexibility in this spot than you would normally see for a team in, in that sense. So I kind of like that. Yeah, the only question is, you know, it's that's something we can say now in March. But as you know, quarterbacks always get pushed up in the draft. And it's I remember thinking this as I was writing a piece about this we're going to have coming up for I think it's called four downs for uh, mm-hmm. the next weeks. Yeah, you know, they, finishing as good as they did, even though they were hardly that good of a team to be picking twentieth, uh, kind of put them in a bit of a hole there. Like if they're picking thirteenth where the Browns are 14th, where the Ravens are, they'd have a great shot of Willis. I don't know if Willis makes it to 20. Uh, um, it's certainly possible. It's We're still way out from the draft, obviously. Uh, and, you know, as you say, there are a lot of teams know Pittsburgh is at least interested, if you believe the rumors. And I don't think they're the only ones. I think a lot of people look at Willis as a, you know, a guy they can put on the bench for a year, study, and then come in and maybe really have an impact. So they're they're in an interesting spot there. If he makes it to 20, Definitely. I think that's a good plan. I think you go with even Rudolph or a Mariota, a Winston, whatever, somebody who can get you through the year, maybe even the start of 20, uh, 2023, and then have Willis ready to go. Question is whether or not he'll actually be there for it. It's easy to say that's the plan, but then when the draft. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I don't I don't have a sense of how powerful the desperation may be for some teams like my Panthers, right. for instance, right. because yeah. like. You know, you read the FO40, which, by the by, everyone listening to this, head over to Football Outsiders and look at the FO40. Wow. Mike Tanier and, and Derek Klassen, my my fantasy host, co-host during the regular season, he's a, he's a scout and does they did great work to look at these scout guys. By and large, it seems like these quarterbacks are mostly like day two or later values. And so you're wondering, like, how high are they going to sneak up there, especially Willis, who's like, when he kind of wows with the athleticism of the combine, how high is he going to go? But I don't know. I wouldn't be stunned if he fell to the Steelers. But regardless, like I think you may be surprised by some of the big names walking out the door. So like getting back to the free agents, like Ben Roethlisberger, obviously, I think he's going to be retired. Juju Smith-Schuster, longtime Steeler, I think they'll probably let him go because yeah. you know, like again, they're gonna they're want they're gonna want to align these guys with the next phase with the team. So like, what right. use are they gonna have with Eric Ebron heading to the, his later twenties? Uh, Trey Turner, even if he was one of their better offensive linemen last year, he's 29 years old. So, like, I think a lot of these guys are probably going to be gone from a cuts perspective. I mean, I think guys like Joe Schobert, that's an $8 million cap savings. You may see some surprising names like a Derek Watt would be a $3 million savings. Stephon Tuitt, longtime great stealer, he would save them $4 million. And, like, if they're not going to be competitive next year, I could see a lot of these guys going out the door in what may be surprising for people that that aren't as plugged into what's going on up there. Yeah, Joe Hayden, too, who we didn't even have up there. And, you know, I don't know that they want to keep him, obviously, at age 32. Uh, yeah, they, they're going to have a lot of roster churn. There's no doubt about it. And I think where they approached last year is sort of, I think I likened it in the Almanac to, a, you know, kind of like a NASCAR pit crew changing on the fly and trying to mm-hmm. keep the team up front. Uh, I don't know how possible that is. You know, now is the year to retrench a little bit consolidate what you got they have pieces to build on obviously they have Najee harris who looked good as a rookie they have pat Fryermuth who looked good as a rookie mm-hmm. obviously we know about the defensive pieces they have up front that are good um 
so you know it's not like they're divorced but they don't really have an, an identity it's like i was getting back to before they're, they're sort of in between eras if you will which is what happens when you lose mm-hmm. you know a, a quarterback that you have two decades and uh farewell and amend to big ben glad to see you go uh but <laughs> no it, it, it no matter it's sort of like like I said before, unless the, the franchise quarterback falls out of the sky and into their laps this year, which is kind of what happened with Roethlisberger back yeah. in 2004, uh, you know, this is the time now to really embrace the retrench. And it's almost like the Tomlin never finishing below 500 thing is is kind of a, a, a spanner in their works. They're like, they want to keep themselves over 500 no matter what. But sometimes it's it's better to take a step back and they can still be competitive. Who knows? I mean, they have players, but you know, in your big picture thinking, you got to look at them and say, yeah, you know what? We don't quite have the roster to compete yet. We got to really be thinking about what we're doing in 2023 right now and 2022, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to bring up Smith Schuster again, real quick, just to point out that his DVOA has decreased from 37.3% in 2017 to 4.4%, a negative 11.3%, negative 10.0%, and negative 34.7% over the last five years. And I think it's interesting because like, you could talk me into Smith-Schuster actually being quite a good player and one that hasn't changed a lot, thinking that like as the Steelers have evolved, they've lost their pass protection, Roethlisberger has gotten a lot more conservative. Like He was the king of failed completions the last few years. Yeah. And if you look at the other guys on the Steelers, like Deontay Johnson has had a negative receiving DVOA the last three seasons too. So I'm wondering what will happen if Smith-Schuster changes contexts, finds a quarterback that's a little bit more aggressive, and if that's going to maybe kind of bounce him back. But to me, that's that's more of a question for another team that might be picking him up in the future. I still don't think he makes a ton of sense for the Steelers to bring back. I just – I think this is it's going to be a pretty clear rebuild here, which is why I wouldn't be stunned, honestly, if Mason Rudolph was the quarterback next year. Because yeah. I think this team is probably aware that it's it's not going to be in the mix for the for playoff success this next year. Yeah, I think uh, the TikTok time bomb is pretty much uh, assuredly gone. I mean, Pittsburgh did miss him when he was injured last year, but uh, you know, a lot of people would tell you he's, he hasn't been the same force since Antonio Brown left for whatever yeah. that's worth. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of people think he wants to go back to to uh, the West Coast and play, and that's probably where he's headed. So uh, I think they're already making plans that he's gone. Remember last year he was pretty much gone, and then nobody really wanted him. So he came back on a one-year deal. So uh, this year maybe somebody will actually put out the welcome mat and bring him in, uh, and I, I don't think that'll be Pittsburgh, no. Useful title points out that they do have a running back though. So problem solved in that sense. Yeah. All right. Let's keep going. Cleveland Browns. uh, They finished third in the AFC North last year at eight and nine, same record as the Ravens who will hit on last, but the Browns, you may be surprised to hear actually were the best team in this division by DVOA 13th. And so perhaps a little bit unlucky not to fare a little bit better on their one loss record. And more to the point, I would say the major narrative of the team coming out of last season was Either Baker Mayfield's shoulder injury sabotaged what was one of the more talented NFL rosters last year, or Mayfield just isn't the long-term answer at quarterback. You sabotaged it, right. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get your opinion on that, Rob. Mayfield's DVOA by season, 8.1% as a rookie, negative 9.8%. 5.1% good as a third-year player, back to negative 8% last year. So pretty much as bad as it's been the last year. You know, I'll say the, the, like, the low single-digit positive DVOA rates, not always terrible for quarterbacks. Like guys between 5 and 10% last year included Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, your guy Joe Burrow, and Josh Allen. 
But those guys have also had the really high seasons, like the 20 plus percenters, which which Baker hasn't had. So I don't know. Like, what's your read? Is did Mayfield have an injury riddled season that understates how good of a player he can be? Or does he just not have the ceiling and the Browns should maybe look at moving on, maybe targeting, you know, your Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson's of the world, the disgruntled quarterbacks that despite it being maybe an unattractive destination in Cleveland for non-football reasons, has a great roster, could be a good place to win. <laughs> yeah, I think the answer is uh, both, pretty much. I mean, I do think he was certainly <laughs> yeah. affected by the injuries. I, you know, there's no question about that. Um, he was beat up pretty bad, and, uh, you know, he took a beating as, as he kept insisting on playing. He probably should have just shut it down at a certain point. But – he also has a ceiling and the ceiling is not what a quarterback who is picked number one overall should have. Uh, and, you know, you just have to look across the great state of, of Ohio to see a, a number one overall pick who does have those qualities. So I think the Browns look over there and compare Mayfield to Burrow and, you know, you can make all the circumstantial evidence uh, sort of arguments you want. I don't think anybody has any doubt that you'd rather have Burrow. So, I, uh, it's funny you say Aaron Rodgers. I actually, for the bold moves uh, category, uh, piece that we do for ESPN every year, mm-hmm. I actually suggested that the Browns make a huge, a really bold move, a little crazy perhaps, but trade for both Rodgers and Devontae Adams and just unload, you know, whatever they could to get those two guys in because their passing attack is was brutally bad last year and it wasn't all Mayfield. I mean, they had a bunch of guys who had catch rates under 60%. No one really moved the needle. Jarvis Landry got hurt for the first time. Obviously, uh, we know what happened with Odell Beckham and Odell Beckham Sr. and Jr. Uh, so there was a lot of stuff that didn't work. And you have a, a system there, Kevin Stefanski's system, that is obviously built off of running the ball, and they were very effective running the ball it, despite all their issues. Uh, still were first, I believe, in DVOA, right? Um, but – you know, if you can't make hay in the passing game off of that, that doesn't really help you all that much. They still have an excellent roster. Their defense cohered toward the end of the year and really started to play well. They have a lot of guys, a lot of good young players, especially in the back seven. Uh, they need possibly to have to overhaul that front four again outside of Miles Garrett. We'll see because uh, we'll talk about their free agents in a minute, but there's a lot of question marks up there. But overall, and obviously Jack Conklin got hurt. They had some injuries up front, which they didn't have the year before. Uh, there were some there were some issues there beyond Mayfield. But the main issue is, I think we all agree, Mayfield is closer to, you know, a, a guy we were just talking about with Pittsburgh in terms of a guy who's, you know, a bridge quarterback, <laughs> a Marcus Mariota or, or a Mitchell Trubisky, rather than being a, a Joe Burrow or, or even an Aaron Rodgers. See, I don't know. I, I you know, honestly, I've kind of lost the, the, the angle on this over the last few years because you mentioned that Mayfield doesn't – is it what you were looking for in a top quarterback? And then you kind of bring up Burrow as, as like a, a foil for him. But like Burrow is another quarterback who actually doesn't have the exceptional arm strength, that being kind of a major issue with Baker too. And so I almost feel like are the Browns kind of stuck between two worlds or like they were pushing Mayfield to be the Ryan Tannehill mold of, hey, you've got a run-focused offense, you run the play action, you throw down the field. Right. Mayfield had an 8.4-yard average depth of target two years ago his last healthy season. That was up there with, you know, Russell Wilson with Lamar Jackson. That's cool. That could potentially work. But, like, he was way near the bottom of the list in terms of yards after the catch, sixth lowest that year. Um, And even the other deep throwers were seeing it kind of low there, too. And it makes me wonder whether Mayfield, who I think is a very accurate passer, could you more make him 
Drew Brees in? Like, could you kind of overhaul? Are there receiver fits that would make a little bit more sense for him? Oh, and I don't know. I keep getting confused by this. You also hear that like Mike Williams is a player that maybe would make sense in this offense. And like, oh, that's intriguing because like he's a vertical threat that's maybe yeah. more of a contested catch winner. And you, I just keep kind of circling back to like, why didn't Odell Beckham work out for this team? Why doesn't Jarvis Landry do better with this team? Is it bad fits or is it again, is it Mayfield? I just don't know. Do you have do you have any thoughts about the style of the offense and how that might work for Mayfield? Yeah, I, I think when you bring up Burrow and yeah, you're right about in terms of Burrow's not like the overwhelming physical tools guy that Mayfield is not. Of course that's true. Uh, but mm -hmm. where you see it, I think is where you saw Mayfield's bad years, uh, you know, two years ago in this past year, three years ago, whatever, uh, yeah. is when the offensive line was not good and he became jittery, started to make bad decisions based on the fact that his pocket presence is not great. And he didn't have defined reads, you know, he has, sort of limitations in that sense of his game. Uh, whereas, as we saw, you know, Joe Burrow can take a licking and keep on ticking. Uh, so I, I think when, but when he has excellent pass protection up front, like he did in 2020 Mayfield, uh, he can certainly be a, a quarterback that at least gets you to the point. Mm. Uh, but, you know, he, again, he's. He, I think they've decided, at least internally there, that He's never going to be a guy who's going to actually bring them unless they have a super roster around him, mm. which is almost impossible to do. And of course, you know, they have to make the decision about paying him. Uh, you know, are you going to give him, are you going to be able to sign him to such a team friendly contract that he's worth keeping and you're still able to at least get to 85% of that super roster that he would require to build around him? Or do you just, you know, go a different route? I think they've decided to go a different route. I could be wrong. Uh, you yeah, bring up Patrick Seeley in the chat is making fun of me for comparing to Breeze. Basically, what I meant there was short depth of throw quarterback, quick decision making yeah, quarterback rather than a downfield target. But, you know, like ESPN's Jake Trotter, I think, agrees with you. He's saying that he thinks the Browns are looking to trade for a star veteran like your Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or even a Kirk Cousins, seeing that as a, as a potential upgrade over, over what Mayfield is for the team. And while you know, the Browns don't have a ton of cap space, effectively 19 million. And if you, even with the civil restructures, it's hard to get it up too high, but there are right. a couple of standout guys. I think you could release number one, I think being Jarvis Landry, that would save $15 million in cap space. That would be big. Weirdly case Keenum, the backup quarterback release could save $7 million. So I think that's kind yeah, of a no brainer. Makes a lot. Austin Hooper, not a big savings, but I hear that he may be on the block as well. I think the team is, is, Prior, prioritizing David and Joku, a player that's a free agent that they could re-sign potentially too. And then Kareem Hunt, I think is interesting. So that would be a $6 million savings. It seems a little weird to potentially take away from the major offensive strength that the team has, especially if you maybe can't get out from Mayfield as being your starting quarterback. But I kind of wanted your thoughts on that, Rob, because last year, Hunt, Nick Chubb, not surprisingly, but also Dearness Johnson were all yeah. top five in yards after contact per attempt. And like that's always kind of the angle on a running back that I always associate with being a running back skill thing. But I'm wondering if the offensive line is just such so good at run blocking that it kind of makes life easier for anybody back there. They were the eighth best run blocking offensive line by run block win rate. And that was despite some injuries up front. So I'm like, could you make it work with anybody back there? Could you could you let Hunt go? Uh, I think Johnson is maybe a restricted free agent, so you could keep him at, at lesser money. Can you kind of work with Chubb and then maybe just another guy and still be really good running the ball? I think so. 
I love Johnson. He's always been a mm-hmm. favorite. I've always been waiting for him to release him so the Bengals could snap him up, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, yeah, I think in over the years we've seen it, the last couple where the line's been really good, and yet you look mm-hmm. deeper at the second level and open field yard stats, and the Browns' backs have always been top two or three. You know, they're they're making a yeah. lot of extra yards. They're making that rushing attack, which is strong because the line is good, even better. You know? um, yeah, and I do think that I think they value. Hunt because of his receiving skills more than anything else. I think if they could replace him with a back they felt comfortable enough to be able to catch passes, you know, very few are going to be able to catch passes as well as Hunt. But even in the ballpark, then they could they could release him and get uh, the savings you're talking about. I don't know yeah. that they'll do that, but they definitely could. Um, I think I wrote somewhere where their their plan might be to sign Mike Williams, as you brought up. I love that fit for them, uh, and then maybe with their uh, their first-round draft pick, then draft Jamison Williams from Alabama coming off mm-hmm. a torn ACL, but a speedster when healthy. And then you have Williams and Williams on this side. I mean, <laughs> Love that. Yeah. The law firm of Williams and Williams. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think that, that makes some sense for the team. Again, the team has some cap space. But from a free agency perspective, I'll point out that while they don't have a ton of star guys up, you've got you know your Malik Jacksons, your Tack McKinleys. I mentioned David Njoku, linebacker Anthony Walker. Some of those guys they may want to retain. I think Malik Jackson has some off-field issues. I don't know if that might impact that there. But they do have a major big-ticket guy up at the top here in Jadavian Clowney. And while he's never had the huge sack numbers that I think many expected coming out of college, he I think his nine sacks as he had last year is pretty much a career high. But 32 pressures last season was top 25 among all defensive players. And he and Miles Garrett were like a two-man wrecking crew up front, even if Garrett was the one that ended up getting to the quarterback a little bit more often because of the the double-team situations, et cetera. I feel like the Browns are really going to want to try to bring him back, and that that could limit what the team could do elsewhere in free agency. Yeah. Clowney, he's also a very good run defender, and he kind of snaps mm-hmm. up the run uh, tackles that that uh, Garrett might not. Um, yeah, and uh, Clowney's almost sort of like – Mayfield, you know, he's like he was number one overall pick, and he doesn't quite have the the resume for that. If they feel like, but he's a good year. He's a good player. I think they want him back. I think he's pretty mercenary, and he will take the highest offer, you know, no matter where who who gives it. So uh, maybe he's a fifty fifty um, candidate to come back. I think uh, you know, and, and they're clouded up front. Otherwise, like you said, uh, McKinley mm-hmm. had a torn Achilles. Who knows what the deal is with him? Uh, I think you're thinking of Malik McDowell with the off-field issue. He was the guy who oh, uh, maybe apologies if so. Yeah, beat up the cop down in Florida. But Malik Jackson might go too. I mean, he he's not prioritized. I don't feel like he played a lot of snaps, but he's getting up there in years. They might wind up for the second year in a row with three new guys starting up front hmm. after uh, after Garrett. Um, I think and, it's possible, but I think they may bring back Clowney because not I only think they can want you, to for sure. Yeah, yeah. Not only can you get the major savings with the Jarvis Landry release. But even if you bring back Baker, like, again, this team finished first in the division in DVOA. And while they don't have a ton of free agency resources, they are pretty flush with draft resources. Yeah. One, they're picking high. They're, they have a 13th pick. So you can potentially get an impact player there. Benjamin Robinson's looking at some of the major wide receivers, like your Garrett Wilson's from Ohio State, your Drake London's of USC. Uh, I think he said four-fifth of mocks have the Browns taking a wide receiver in, with their first-round pick. So wow. that's high, but that could be a major help to the offense. That's part of it, too. But, like, again, they've also added extra picks with their analytically forward front office. 
Last year, they traded back and got an extra fourth rounder with the, from the Lions. So that's a good value pick. They picked up a third round comp pick for the Vikings hiring Kwesi Odofo Minsa as their GM. So they have a bunch of day two picks. So I think this is a team that can actually improve even without just the free agency. And I like, honestly, they're going to be in the mix for the division title next year is kind of my read of things even if they can't make a major upgrade at quarterback. I know that may be stark news to hear for you, Rob. That's that's well, how I see I, things. I, I think they were – I mean, they were in the mix for the division title right up until the end kind of this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. And they had some bad luck. They had some injuries. They had some games that they could have won and didn't. You know, but that's every team. But uh, they obviously have a very good roster. You know, if Jack Conklin comes back fully healthy, that solves a lot of their problems that they had toward the end of the year. Um, they had the two rookies on defense, Greg Newsom and uh, Jeremiah Wasu-Karamoa, who really flashed, looked like good players. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's just a question of, again, like like all teams have, but they're going to have to blend some new faces and they're going to have to make a couple of decisions. And really, it's the Mayfield thing is, you know, if he plays and they bring him back, it was he just under 19 next year for his option? Uh, and mm-hmm. he plays under that. And, you know, there's, there's all the, every reason to believe that they'll be in the running for the division title with him at quarterback, um, you know, the question is whether they play well, win the division, you know, at, at nine or 10 wins, not 12 or 13. And then you're into the position of, oh crap, now we have to pay him big money. You know, I think that that's what they want to avoid more than anything else is uh, I don't think they mind Mayfield playing this year. And I don't think they mind playing and winning with Mayfield this year. They just don't want to win too heartily with Mayfield to the point where it costs them too much money down the road. I think uh, they're trying to have it both ways and maybe they can't, but uh, overall, I think the Browns should be optimistic for 22. They have a good roster, probably the best roster overall in the division, even better in Cincinnati's. And, uh, you know, they're going to be a factor regardless of, uh, of who plays uh, quarterback for them. Well, speaking of bad luck, Rob, Baltimore Ravens, our last team to hit on, uh, you might have heard they suffered a few injuries last year. I'm actually working on adjusted games lost with Aaron as we speak, so I don't have the numbers for you right yet, but I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident they're going to be at the top of the list. So yeah. you're just – just the, the guys that were supposed to be starters that landed on injured reserve last year included Brandon Williams, Derek Wolf, Deshaun Elliott, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters. That's just on defense. Then you got Ronnie Stanley, Tyree Phillips on the offensive line, all of the running backs. I mean, it was a mess. So I, from my perspective, they ended up still eight and nine. I know that was fourth in the division, but close to 500, 19th in DVOA, like kind of right there with the Bengals. Um, yeah. I would say injuries derailed a potential Super Bowl contender from last year. And so, like, honestly, wouldn't be shocked if they had a major bounce back this year if they enjoy better injury luck. But while you could say that, hey, this is a Super Bowl contending team, and again, they have a young quarterback too, in my mind, the offense, the offseason goal, it's not just hope for better luck and run it back. They need to add some blue chip defensive players because the Ravens, I feel like, have been famous over the last decade plus of, like, developing guys, like, when they have big name free agents get to free agency, they let them walk, they take the comp picks, they retool, and then they bring those second, third, and fourth round draft picks along and turn them into blue chip players within two or three years. And uh, I'm not sure that's happened the last few years. You can say that their 28th place DVOA finish on defense last year was more about injuries than anything else. And that's probably true, but their first round draft pick from two years ago, Patrick queen, he blew 26.5% of his attempted tackles last year. That was the worst among linebackers with 50 or more tackles. Their second rounder from a few years ago, Tyus Bowser, blew 28.2%. He had 20 pressures. I would say not great from a guy that was supposed to be a leading pass rusher for the team. 
Their third round linebacker from last year, Malik Harrison, he doesn't start. Their third round edge rusher, right. Jalen Ferguson from a couple years ago, he doesn't start. And so Rob, like, honestly, Marlon Humphrey is a blue chip cornerback. And again, he missed time last year too. So that's great. Your first rounder from last year, Odefe Owe, he led the team in pressures as a rookie. So I think that's encouraging, but like, this team needs some defensive talent, right? I, like, I feel like, I don't know if they're going to make a lot of free agent splashes, but they need to find some guys to turn that defense around. It's not just about injuries. Yeah, definitely not. I, I We talked about the four downs thing, and you're supposed to point out biggest need for each team. And mm-hmm. you could have picked five or six for the Ravens. Yeah. I mean, they have All some three issues. levels. Yeah, exactly. And, and offensive line, too, for them. I mean, yeah. a lot of that is from Stanley being out. Uh, but, you know, this is most of two years now that he's going to miss. And yeah, like you say, the assembly line that they uh, got used to in Baltimore slipped a cog somewhere because, uh, you know, the Pernell McPhees and the Matt Judons, who they picked up off of their compensatory picks, turned into, Mm -hmm. you know, Pro Bowl level players, let them walk out the door and just kept the the chain rolling. That that hit a speed bump. And uh, they're not nearly the same defense that they have in the past. I mean, this is the Ravens who were, I think, uh, 30th or 31st in adjusted sack rate this year. And they were in the bottom three or four on both lines, yeah. going both ways. That's not Baltimore Ravens <laughs> football, you know. I that's mean, not what you, that's not what you're used to from the last decade. Yeah, I think the Ravens. I think the Ravens recognize where they were because, like, they added guys like Calais Campbell, defensive tackle, Justin Houston, defensive end. Some of these older guys that are like pushing 33 and 34. They're like, hey, like, let's try to tread water. We're a good team in a lot of ways. Um, but those guys, they're hitting free agency. So, like, talking about the major free agents for this team, I think Campbell was the top of that list. Uh, Brandon Williams, a little bit younger at defensive tackle, but he's also hitting it too. So you're having some major defensive line guys potentially leaving. I mentioned Bradley Bozeman, the center. He's hitting free agency. Maybe the Bengals are going to try to steal him as an in-division in guy. Uh, they've got some other defensive players, Anthony Everett, Jimmy Smith at cornerback, Deshaun Elliott at safety. He was a starter last year. Uh, maybe guys like Devontae Freeman, it doesn't really matter with some of the injury returns they're going to get, but they're losing major pieces there. Um Tyler Huntley, I think, is a little bit of an interesting one because he played pretty pretty well as a quarterback. I wonder if he may end up starting for a team next year. He's good, yeah. <laughs> that may not be a concern for the Ravens, assuming that Lamar is going to be healthy. But some of these guys probably are. Uh, and it's, you know, they're going to have to draft well or kind of land some some ticket-free agent guys to try to, to kind of get these guys in. Um, and they don't have a ton of, of cap space. Like they're sitting on 4 million in effective cap space. Obviously that's not very much with some simple restructures. They could get to 30, but that's still bottom 10 in the league. Yeah. I think they're going to cut some, cut some guys that you've heard of. So like Alejandro Villanueva being an obvious one, $6 million savings, but Marcus Peters, a cornerback, that would be a $10 million savings. Even guys like Miles Boykin and Tavon Young that are a little bit younger. I think they may get cut too. So this team has a little bit of room to maneuver, I don't know what they're going to do though. Again, the Ravens traditionally haven't done a lot in free agency because they've been so good at developing their picks. And we'll mention that they have a lot of draft capital to work with, but from a free agency perspective, what are you seeing with this team? Like, do you think that Larry Ogunjobi, who we mentioned from the Bengals, like, would he be a good fit on the defensive line or are they going to chase after Antonio Brown to maybe Lamar Jackson's BFF these days? I don't know. How do you see it going for this team? I'd be a little surprised if they brought in Antonio Brown, to be honest. Uh, yeah, Hogan yeah. would fit. I don't know that they're going to go that way. They, they are going to have a big roster churn, though. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the bigger picture, and I wonder if this is why Wink Martindale was, was let go, which was something of a surprise, uh, is that, you know, they were counting on this plan to, as you mentioned, some of the names. They have a, a lot of draft capital uh, invested in guys who they need to step up. 
on their defensive front in the linebacking core. And the secondary took a hit with injuries, but uh, yeah. you know they're okay there. But uh, especially in the front seven, and they just haven't done it. Uh, and I think that's really where their master plan fell apart. And you know, Calais Campbell is a big name, but he didn't do a ton with the Ravens, really. Um, and you know, it's, it's tough for me to say because what's interesting is the Ravens, they did have a big split. They were fourth in run defense last year and 30th in pass defense. Yeah, so I'm no not sure that like Campbell and Houston may not have been the problem, but they're 35 and 33 years old. Like that probably isn't going to be able to be the long-term solution. Yeah, that's the thing. They're not the problem, but they're not the solution. And when they've had a long history of bringing in guys sort of for their last rodeo who play well, but that was always – you know, the cherry on the Sunday of having a uh, Terrell Suggs or, you know, you pick your guy, Odi Nato, whatever. Uh, they have a lot of, have had a lot of great frontline players and, and pass rushers and guys who mm. you never heard of until they developed them and turned them into stars. Part of that reason they be, could become stars is because they were anchored. Their defenses were always anchored by mm. one or two, you know, a hall of fame, practically level players. And they just don't have that right now. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Marcus Peters coming off that torn ACL. I, I know they want him back, but as you mentioned, he's definitely a candidate uh, to save a lot of space, and he's he's an oft-traveled gent. Uh, he's yeah. had some issues before. He could definitely be a guy you could you could see them getting rid of, although I don't think they necessarily want to. He's played well for them there. Uh, and I think the bigger picture still they have to think about is is Lamar, and he's you know coming up for his extension too, and he's playing, you know, Theoretically, you don't really hear that much about it because he got hurt and a little out of sight, out of mind. And because uh, he's his own agent. So it's, yeah, it's weird. True. Yeah. I wonder if they hired, you know, they hired Sashi Brown to be a, a, an analytics buff who we like. But, uh, you know, they hired him to sort of be their cap guy, negotiator guy. And I wonder if he was hired in part to be a buffer between Eric DaCosta, the GM, and Lamar so that they didn't have that sort of friction, which is natural in any salary negotiation. And they could, you know, have a way of path forward to have a buffer there without the agent to then, you know, not turn an internal uh, civil war that would then erupt into the papers and, and keep everything on the on the uh, keep the seas unruffled, yeah. so to speak. You know, that, that was sort of my inclination when they hired him. But uh, the Ravens are going to have to turn over a lot of players and they're going to have to try and get back to the forefront. And the, really, their only way forward is to have guys like Patrick Queen, who you mentioned, play better. I mean, he's a first round pick and he hasn't lived up to it. And when that happens and it's, you know, kind of compounded down the line with a lot of their picks, you know, when that happens, your team, your team suffers. And I think that's where the Ravens are. When you have Lamar playing and if he stays healthy, they're going to be in the mix. He's so good. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And they'll get a lot of guys back, Dobbins, et cetera, who are going to help. Uh, but they still have some issues on that defensive side of the ball, and they're going to have to address that this offseason, no doubt. Yeah, with an, with an eye on the long-term extension looming for Lamar, I think this team is probably going to stick to script mostly, continue yeah. to try to develop guys, hope that the injury returns. Maybe there's a halo effect. When you have a guy like Marlon Humphrey playing lockdown corner, maybe that makes everybody's life a little bit easier, and everybody can play better in that sense. If I were going to guess if there was like one free agent guy that they did go after, which would be a little bit out of character – but I would think that offensive tackle from the Patriots, Trent Brown, seems like a really good fit to me. He's 380 pounds. You got to feel like if you're the Ravens and you want to have a run-oriented offense, you'd probably love to have an offensive lineman that's 380. And I feel like that would also help keep Lamar upright too. So like I have my eye on him as a possible fit. But I think it's going to be more through the draft. Um, and again, because the Ravens have been so diligent in their discipline about letting your Matthew, Matthew Judon's walk, letting your Yannick Ngakwe's walk, right. um, they – 
they're getting fourth round comp picks for those two guys this year. They're getting a third round comp pick since the Texans hired David Cully as their head coach last season. So like they're, they're pretty flush. I mean, they're picking 14th in the first round. So not a top, top pick, but they've got, you know, two third round picks, three, fourth, no, four fourth round picks. So that they're going to have a chance to find some guys in the middle rounds that maybe can leave a bit of an instant impact. Ben Robinson has this team a little bit more all over the place in options because they do have holes at, at various places, but Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, the center, is a possibility. They have him as the most popular mock. Charles Cross, offensive tackle for Mississippi State. So if you want to go offensive line, that makes sense. The cornerback might make sense as well. But, yeah, the, the Ravens are going to need to hit on a couple of these, these earlier draft picks to help kind of give them the talent that maybe they won't be able to do in free agency with a little bit less resources than some of the other teams in the division. Right, Rob? Yeah, they got the the assembly line plan still in place. Uh, it's just, you know, they have to hit. The guys have to do better. They have to get their development back on track. And, you know, that that often tends to be cyclical. I mean, I think the Ravens have been so good at it for so long, maybe we just had an outsized, you know, sort of assume, uh, assumption that they could just keep it going forever. And, yeah. You know, probably that's unrealistic. And, uh, you know, certainly also they thought two years ago when they had Orlando Brown and Ronnie Stanley as their bookend tackles, they were like, Hey, we're set for 10 years. And yeah. now who knows what's going on there. So, you know, they need, they need Ronnie Stanley to get healthy. That, 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 that's a huge difference maker for them. Yeah. Uh, but I will say like, again, beyond even the injury luck, Aaron did the, the, the early DVOA ranking projections for this next year, they have the easiest schedule. Yeah. Um, so like they're Four sitting points. in a, in a, in a pretty space contextually for this season, if they can be a little bit healthier, if Lamar can stay healthy, I think this team could make some noise as well. Like, honestly, this could be a pretty competitive division, which you wouldn't necessarily expect just looking at the one loss records and the fact that the Bengals made it all the way to the Super Bowl last year. It's a fun yeah. division. It comes back to your original point, like what's realistic and what's not. And, uh, you know, I think going into last year, we thought that the AFC North was going to be competitive. And if the Bengals could get up to the seven, eight win range, they would even make a fourth team. And now they have done better than that, obviously. But mm. the real story is that all four teams are quality. All four teams have a shot and it's a good division and the winner will deserve what they do. And it, and it helped the Bengals to get to the Super Bowl because they had a crucible of fire in a, in a competitive division that always helps a team. Absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap up our AFC North talk, Rob, it's been a pleasure to have you on to talk about your Bengals and all of these teams. Uh, Tomorrow, we're going to be swinging back at 1 p.m. Eastern time again, live streaming on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube. So come and join us there. I'm going to have Brian Knowles talking AFC East with me. So another pretty compelling division. Rob's got a pet dog hanging out with him, too. It's, no, it's a fun to time there. there. So I we have at least one live audience member, which we appreciate. Right. But also, you know, if you're listening to us on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, we appreciate that, too. However it is that you like to listen to us. Again, swing on back tomorrow, 1 p.m. to listen to the AFC East preview. Check out footballoutsiders.com. We got the combine stuff. We got the FO40 up there. We've got Splash Play, our DFS podcast with, with Chris Spaggs. All that good stuff. We've got a lot of great offseason content for you at Football Outsiders. So thanks so much for checking that out, and thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you again tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time. 